0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org.
1: Yeah, I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I know Thanksgiving's different for everybody, and so some of you had large gatherings. Raise your hand if you had over 10. Anybody have over 20? Holy smokes, no kidding. Anybody do over 60? Anybody over 60? Nobody okay? And some of you just, it's just you, it's just you, and God can minister to you in that, too. We, uh, we had a good day. We, my father lives in Des Moines still, and so we always do kind of this thing. We, we drive down. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive, right? It's great. We can spend time in the car together. We listen to an interesting podcast. And then uh, we spend about four hours there. We have lunch, and then, and then we just turn around and come back. And so it's a good day, and I was, I was thinking about that. We take it so for granted that they have these large, paved, concrete roads that just like... Whoosh, Right, And we drive 70 or 69, one of the two, it's 69 to 70 miles an hour. though, And it's like Zoom, just like that. It's 250 miles, we're there in about three and a half hours. We stay for a while, we're back, three and a half hours. And it's just so easy. And we kind of take that for granted, how, how just easy travel is. And I was thinking, what if it was back in the days when we traveled like this, right? That's, that's at best a two-week trip, one way, two weeks, and then eat four hours and then jump back in the wagon. And you're, and you're at least two weeks on the way back. And we just take that for granted. Like it, the, the idea of travel has just lost its significance to us, right? You can fly coast to coast today roughly in about seven hours, coast to coast, right? Uh, like a, jet, a fighter jet has done it in about 56 minutes. If it's the space shuttle, <laughs> the space shuttle goes across the country in about eighteen minutes, and if you'd have been two hundred years ago, it's at least six months. At the very shortest, it's six months. Think about that—like six months. What all would you miss out on? You miss six months of work, or six months of school, or whatever it is. Six months of all those activities, and then you gotta to try to explain to your teachers or explain to your boss why you're still taking a covered wagon. It's just weird, right? <laughs> Like, it's just lost its significance on us of just how fast it, right? And we just take it for granted. It's totally lost its meaning. And I, and I wonder, and I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if there isn't something else. Like, what about, what about this one? What if, what if we just take Christmas for granted? And we know this for a lot of the culture. It's really about getting stuff on sale and buying gifts and going to programs. And even for us in the church, we say Merry Christmas But I wonder if it hasn't really even lost its significance. Like a baby was born 2,000 years ago. Right on, a baby was born. But I just wonder if the real significance of what that means in our lives, I wonder if we haven't just lost it. And so today is Advent Sunday. Now some of you grew up in Catholic traditions, you grew up in Lutheran traditions, or you grew up in more mainline denominations. You grew up Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever it was. And and Advent was a big deal. And sometimes we've kind of even lost the significance of what Advent is. And so it brings up the question, really, what's Advent? What is that? Advent is Latin. It means coming. And it's usually a term that's mean, it's, the, it's the anticipation of a notable person or a notable event. And so in the church, we think of the coming of Christ. It's, it's this preparation. It's the celebration of the coming of Christ. It, it, it like, I don't, have we just lost that? And so today we want to start this whole Christmas season, like Advent, this whole Advent season, we want to start and prepare and get our heads ready and get our hearts ready and be prepared to to really truly celebrate the coming of Christ and the significance and just take a look at that. And then at the end of the service, I'm going to take a turn and we're going to do something very intentional right? Very significant. I think very intentional to get us prepared. We're going to prepare in a very unique and intentional way for Christmas this year. So I'm going to ask you, as we start thinking about Advent, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're going to start this morning. And then, like I say, we'll, we'll kind of work our way through that, and then we're going to take a very intentional turn. This morning as we get to the end. So if you have that, uh, I would just ask you to stand to your feet then whenever you have that. If you're looking on a digital, like on your phone or something, it'll ask you what translation we read from the New Living Translation. If you don't have a hard copy Bible, I, I'm just old, and so I love turning pages and feeling pages. And so uh, if you don't have a hard copy Bible, I think it's a great thing. You can write and take notes and underline. They're in the lobby. They're on high top tables. They're, for, they're yours. Just, you just take one. Just make sure we have them in Spanish and English. Make sure you get the right one. I'm starting in verse 1. This is Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby, and she kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank on the Nile River. Verse 4, the baby's sister then stood at the distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Verse 7. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. And so the girl went, and she called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I'll pay you for your help. And so the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Verse 10. Later, when the boy was older... His mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your holy word. Lord, we receive your word. And we believe, Father, this isn't just men who wrote a book. This is you, the God of creation, speaking to us in 2021. We believe that you have a word for us. We believe that you have something to say to each of us specifically, each of us in our own lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear now, that we'd be attentive and we'd listen. What are you saying to each of us specifically? Speak that clearly, God, in a way that draws us to you, brings honor and glory to your great name. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You folks can have a seat. And so, kind of interesting, let's, let's take a look at our passage. Look at with me again at verse 1. that says this, about this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Well, about... What time we're going to look at, but this is, you need to know this, it's a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi. These are Jews, these are Israelites, they're Hebrews, that's who we're talking about. But it says, about this time, and so context is always just so, so important, and so we think, well, it's important to know about what time. Look in your Bibles, flip back one page probably, it's uh, it's Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, look in your Bibles, it says this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who moved to Egypt with their father. This is the very beginning of the book. And then he gives a list of names. Now, it's really important to note this, I think, that in the original language, in the Hebrew, the book starts with And. In the Hebrew language, it starts with, and these were the names. And so it harkens you back like, and, like, are we in the middle of a conversation? What just happened here? Where did we come from? Remember that the the author of the book of Exodus is Moses. And Moses is also the the author of the book of Genesis, as God revealed to to him. And as he got from oral tradition, then then Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And so I always explain the book of Genesis this way. And if you've been here very long, you've heard me say this before. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are creation. God is creating. He creates everything. And it keeps saying this phrase, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then God makes man, and he says it was very good. And then you get to chapter 3 of Genesis, and Adam and Eve both eat of the apple, and sin enters in the world, and the whole story from that point just goes right into the toilet. And then you get into about chapter 7, and we find out about Noah, and God is so disgusted that he floods the planet. He floods the whole known area, at very least, at that time, and he wipes them out with the exception of Noah, who it says was a righteous man. Noah and his family saved through the ark. Well, Noah gets out of the ark, right, after 40 days and 40 nights, or longer than that, and they get out of the ark, and Noah's not doing exactly great. There's still quite a bit of sin. Noah has his issues. And then finally, in chapter 12 of Genesis, you meet Abram and Sarai, who later become Abraham and Sarah. They have a particular child whose name was Isaac, Isaac has... Jacob. Jacob then has 12 sons. The second to the youngest is Joseph. Well, Joseph's brothers kind of despised him. He was maybe a little cocky, right? And so one day they're all out and they throw him into a pit. Rather than kill him, they say, here's what we're going to do. Here comes a caravan. Let's sell him to the caravan. They'll take him off as a slave. And they do. And they take him down to Egypt. Crazy story. Read the book of Genesis. But over time, over time, over time, Joseph, even though he eventually went to prison, comes out, falsely accused, comes out And he rises in second in power. He becomes the second in all of Egypt under only the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh really likes him. So now there's a big famine, right? Joseph invites his family. He brings his family. They all come down. And in the midst of the famine, they're saved. Okay, well... Now time and time and time and time, Jacob dies, Joseph dies, and the Israelites that come down into Egypt just continue to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply, and now you get to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, about this time, about this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. This is when this is going on. Now here's what's very interesting in chapter 2, in verse 2 then it says, the woman became pregnant, very normal, very usual, and she gave birth to a son. 50-50 chance. She saw that he was special, baby. Very normal. That's how mothers feel. And so she kept him hidden for three months. That part's weird. Why would she hide him for three months? Well, when the Israelites are multiplying, 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 they no longer know this Pharaoh, and more importantly, this Pharaoh who's now there, almost 300 years later, doesn't know them. And Pharaoh, because they're multiplying and multiplying, becomes very afraid. And he says, hey, look, if we ever go to war... These folks are going to jump in with our enemies and fight against us. Crazy. So here's what he says He goes to the Egyptian midwives who deliver all the children. And he said, Midwives, here's the deal. If a Hebrew has a child and the child is a male, kill him. A little weird. Right. Well, God comes and he speaks to the midwives and God says, no, you can't do that. So the midwives don't. They're not killing the children. Well, so the Israelites multiply, 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 multiply. Finally, Pharaoh comes back to the midwives and he says, hey, what's up with this? I told you if they have a boy, you're to kill him. And the midwives have a great story. I love their story. They say, those Israelites, women, they're something else, man. When they have a kid, they just pop them right out. We don't even get a chance to get there. They say they're very vigorous. And so Pharaoh, very determined, Pharaoh says, all right, let's do this. If an Israelite child is born, and he's a male, chuck him into the river. What just happened? Chuck the baby into the river. And Pharaoh is thinking either they're going to drown, or they're going to be get eaten by a crocodile, or both. And so for that reason, she hides this baby. Then it says... But when she could no longer hide them, the child's getting older. We think maybe now three, four years old, perhaps. When she could no longer hide them, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and she waterproofs it. Get a load of this. A mother so inferior for her baby that she makes a basket out of papyrus reeds and she waterproofs it with tar and pitch. Then she puts the baby in the basket. You ready for this? She puts him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. She just sets him in there. Well, it's not too long right? It just happens at that time that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, goes down to the river. She's got to take a bath, and she's got two attendants with her, and they see the basket, and they pull it over, and there's a baby crying, and the princess feels bad for the baby. Okay, well, right about then, it says that the baby's sister stood at a distance. She was watching. She was watching to see what would happen to him. Well, now she goes, and she approaches the princess, and she says, hey, should I, maybe, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? She asked. And the, and the princess is like, that'd be awesome. Why don't you go get one of these Hebrew women? So the girl, who is the boy's sister, goes and gets their mother. The princess doesn't know this. And she brings the baby's own mother back to nurse the baby. And the princess says, wow, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you for your help. She's going to pay the mother. She doesn't even know this is the baby's mother. And so the woman takes the baby home and she nursed him. Right? Well, she takes the baby home. She nurses the baby. She's taking care of the baby and she's taking care of the baby. Well, now the scriptures tell us this. The later, when the boy was older, his mother now brings him back to Pharaoh's daughter. We think again, maybe now four years old, five years old. We don't know exactly when. She brings it back to Pharaoh's daughter who had adopted him as her own son. And the princess names him Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Man, you talk about a kid who's born in weird times. Now just think about this. Severe ethnic tension slaughtering babies. Anybody? Maybe. I mean, I think we live in weird times. I think amidst all the other things that are going on, all the ethnic tension. Like, this baby was born right into this really weird and peculiar time. Okay, now the baby grows up a little bit. This baby gets a little older. Now it's, this baby, Moses, is a full-grown man. Again, we don't know exactly how old, but Moses is now a full-grown man. And one day he says, hey... Uh, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to take a look. I'm going to see what's going on. I'm going to see uh, what the slaves are up to. I'm going to see their their slave owners. Well, he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Hebrew slaves. He's conflicted because he's like, I'm a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew. I don't feel good about this. And so he goes to step into the situation. One thing leads to another. And he kills the Egyptian. Well, he knows he's in trouble. He knows he's in big trouble. And so what does Moses do? He flees. He goes to Midian. He goes, uh, 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 it's in Arabia. It would be in Arabia. Right? He flees. It's probably on the other side of the Arabian Sea, maybe northwest Arabia. He flees out there. And he's out there for a number of years, perhaps 40 years. And one day he's out and he's tending flocks and he sees a bush. Not unusual. He sees a bush on fire. Not totally unusual. But the bush is not being consumed. Really unusual. And so he's intrigued, and he steps to it, and God begins to speak to him. The first thing God says is, you better take your shoes off. This ground where you're standing right now is holy ground. Moses takes his shoes off, and then God continues to speak. And this is what he's going to say to Moses. He says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I'll just stop. I'll just stop. Forget the message for just a minute. I don't know your story. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're sitting in the room, but I believe you're here this morning. And maybe you came for no other reason than this. You needed to hear this. Because maybe your life is really terrible, right? Maybe your situation is tough. Maybe you've got a health crisis. You've got some kind of emotional crisis. You've got relational crisis. You've got something going on. Forget the rest of the message. You don't have to listen to anything else. I hope you hear this. God sees you. He hears you. And he's aware. I just think there are folks that need to hear that right now. In the midst of your situation, would you just hear this? God sees you. He hears you. He's fully aware. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's up to. I know he's sovereign. I know he's always got a plan. I know he's working something out. I don't know what it is. But I think you need to hear that. The sovereign God of creation, the all-powerful God of creation, he sees you right now. He hears your prayers. He's aware of your situation. God is feeling you right now. Just know that. If you don't get anything else out of the message, just know that this morning. That God sees you. And so he says this to Moses. I've seen them, which I think this is really interesting. And if you read the Bible this way, I've seen them. I've heard them. I'm aware of them. Therefore, you go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You got to lead these people out of, out of Egypt. And I think that's the way that God most oftentimes works. God sees, God hears, God, he's aware. And now he sends us. He sends you. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we willing? Are we willing to go? So oftentimes, even here at the church, people will come to me and they'll say, oh, pastor, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing this. And they're passionate about it. We got to be doing this. I said, man, right on. It sounds like you're the person for the job. Oh, no, 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 not me. Not me. I was just, no. I said, you're the one who has the passion. God sees. God hears. God's aware. He often sends us. So now he's saying to Moses, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. Well, so Moses goes. Moses goes. Moses starts talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh remembers Moses right? And Moses says, man, you got to let these Israelites go. You got to, the slavery thing's got to end. You got to let them go. Well, Pharaoh thinks to himself, that's the labor force, man. We can't just turn them loose. Nah, not going to do it. Then God speaks to Moses. Moses tells Pharaoh, Here's what's going to happen. It's going to get weirder. Like this was a kid born into really, really weird times. He's born right in the midst of this. And now times are going to get weirder, and God prepares him for this. Watch what's going to happen. God sends a series of ten plagues. First one, water turns to blood. Like you go down to the Nile River, you're scooping up water. Oh, hey, oh negative. Like that would be weird, right? <laughs> then you go home today. You go home, you're going to fix dinner. You turn the faucet, blood. Blood comes out. You get in the shower, that would really be creepy, wouldn't it? Like blood. Then they had the frogs. The frogs. Like they're just, what if you leave church today? Frogs just hopping everywhere. Frogs hopping up in your hair, just everywhere. God, in His sovereignty, made sure that the frogs gave him before the flies. I always wondered that. Did the frogs eat all the flies? There's lice. They had a flag of lice. It's just not like just your kids or somebody else's kids. Just look around the room for a minute. What would it look like if we had like, what, everybody in the room right now had their head shaved? What would it look like? Crazy thing is some of you don't look any different. You look exactly the same. But they had a plague of lice. Livestock pestilence. All, the, all, the, all their livestock got some disease. We don't know what it was. And they all just start dying. Boils. Everybody is just covered with boils. Like how weird would it be? If we walked into this morning and we're all just covered with boils or nobody came because everybody's covered with boils. They had hail, they had locusts, they had darkness. Ready for this? Everybody's firstborn child was killed. Everybody's. And some of you know the story, unless they put the blood of a lamb over their doorposts. But just think how weird that would be. I mean, I get it. We've had this COVID thing. I get it. But I'm telling you, everybody's firstborn child died. And this kid, this kid was born into a really weird day, and things just got weirder. And he's born for that. Well, now, Moses, eventually, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. Moses leads them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They go to Mount Sinai. They receive the law of God. They're wandering in the desert. For 40 years, they wander in the desert because of their own disobedience. They, want, they didn't go straight to the promised land. They just wander around for 40 years. And now it's getting to the very end of their time. It's getting to the very end of their time. They're about to enter the promised land. Moses knows he's about done. He doesn't get to enter the promised land, right? He dies just on the other side. And now God speaks to him. And now Moses is going to tell the people what God has said to him. This is Moses speaking to the people the words of God. And God says this, I'll raise up a prophet like you, Moses. I'm going to raise up someone like you. From among their fellow Israelites. I'll put my words in his mouth, and he'll tell the people everything I commanded him. Now, now think of this. They're going to speak the words of God. They're going to be a Jew. They're going to be like Moses. Who is Moses talking about? He's talking about Jesus. You ever stop stop and thought about all the ways that Jesus and Moses were alike? Both of them were born at the time when they were killing Hebrew babies. Both of them miraculously escaped it. Both of them had taken a trip and gone down to Egypt. Both of them interceded for the people of their day before God. They interceded for them. Moses said, no, 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 don't kill the people. Right? Came to say, Jesus did that on our behalf. Right? Both of them came to set people free from bondage. Moses freed people from the bondage of slavery. Jesus freed us from the bondage of sin. There's so many ways that they're exactly like, here's the other one. You ready? They were both born in a really weird time for a really weird time. And when we lose the significance of Christmas, Advent is a time to us to go, that's right. Jesus matters today. I get it. Born 2,000 years ago, that was awesome. Born 2,000 years ago, I get that. But he matters today. Like, we can't lose the significance. And so this year, what we're doing at Christmas is we're doing a series, and it's called More Than a Holiday. And we're going to look at all the ways that Jesus, not all the ways, but four specific ways of how Jesus matters today. In our lives today, a baby born 2,000 years ago matters in 2021. He matters every bit today. He matters to you, he matters to me. It's relevant to us, it's significant to us, and it's significant to those people who say, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. You might be here this morning, you go, Hey, I just popped into church, don't know that I'm really a follower of Jesus, not there yet, may not ever get there. It matters to you. It's relevant to you. We're going to take a look at four different messages. We're going to look at, in a day like this, how does Jesus help us to grow in wisdom? You know what wisdom is, right? Wisdom is knowledge that's actually applied, where we actually live it out. Raise your hand if you've ever made a bad decision. Okay, put your hand down. Raise your hand if you were bummed that you made it. Okay, put your hand down. Raise your hand if you say, you know what I'd like in the rest of my life? I'd like to make better decisions. Raise your hand. There you go. Who would say no to that? Okay, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how Jesus helps us to grow in wisdom today. We're going to look about facing temptation. Now, temptation, let's be honest, at its, at its very core, temptation is you and I choosing fidelity to Christ or infidelity, right? But regardless, you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't think the same things need. But we all face this temptation where it's this inner tension, this inner turmoil, What does Jesus have to do with that in 2021? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at how he helps us face temptation, how he helps us defeat temptation. We're going to look at that. It matters to you whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not a follower of Jesus. We're going to look at persevering through suffering. Anybody, ever, never. Right. Life is just tough sometimes. Everybody suffers. You might be in the midst of it right now. I always say this about trials you're either in one, you're coming out of one, or you're fixing to get into one. That's just the nature of life. Okay. How is it that Jesus, born as a baby 2,000 years ago, today in 2021, helps us do that? How does he help us get through? We're going to look at that. It would be relevant to anybody. We're going to look at receiving power. Like, do you know this, that Christ gives us power today? Power to continue on. Power to, to move through difficult situations. Power to overcome. Power to have victory. Who's not looking for that? Followers of Jesus? Yeah. You're not a follower of Jesus? I'm assuming you'd still look for that. So let me do this before we take a turn. I, I want to give you the big so what. So every week we do a big so what. And if you're new, you just need to know this. Here's the beauty of after you've been here once. Now you know. You don't have to pay attention to anything. Blah, blah, blah. Just wake up for the big so what. This is all you really need. And the big so what is this. What I want you to get this morning is this. Is that Advent is a celebration of the past that matters into eternity that's what Advent really is. We're remembering the past, and we're so, because it's going to matter into eternity. The birth of this Christ child will matter into eternity. It's going to matter forever. Now, I, I want to turn out, and I want you to catch this. Because remember when Moses was talking to people, and Moses said, Hey, God's telling him, I'm going to raise up a leader who's like you all, like you, Moses. He's, he's an Israelite, he's, he's Hebrew like the rest of them, he's like that. And he's going to speak my words. Well, he didn't finish there. The very next phrase in Deuteronomy that Moses said, God speaking, was this. And, now listen to this. Powerful words. We better heed this. I will personally, God speaking, deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages that this prophet proclaims on my behalf. Now listen to this. God is saying, I will deal with anyone who doesn't heed the words of this prophet. Now, Jesus said a lot of things. Jesus said a lot of things. But one of the things that Jesus said was this. I'm the way, singular, the, the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Jesus said, I am the way, singular, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, he meant this. You can't get to God and have a relationship here on this planet. We'll never have peace with God. But also into eternity, when we pass, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never, listen, death is eternal for everybody. Right? We say it's just like real estate. The thing that matters most is? Yes! Eternity in heaven with the Father. Or think about this. Complete separation from God. Complete and total separation. We just talked about this, right? It's complete separation from God. People go, ah, things here are pretty bad. Oh, no, 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 no. Just imagine for a minute. Complete and total separation from God. Hell. Eternal torment. Torment. Okay, now that's true for all of us here. That's true for all of us here. But let me just ask you this question. Stop and think. Who doesn't know that? Who's in your life right now that doesn't know that? Who's a family member that doesn't know Christ? I'm asking you to think right now. File through some names. Rip open the the Rolodex. Who's in your neighborhood that doesn't know Jesus? Who do you go to school with that doesn't know Christ, doesn't have a relationship with him? Who do you run into at work that does not have a relationship with Christ? Christ. See, we don't believe there's a crazy western christian thought that says this. Just pray and ask Jesus into your heart and then let's just stay comfortable until we die. Let's just gather some things, let's accumulate some things, and let's just make sure we're comfortable until we die. That is such a bogus thought. That is such a western christian thought. That is not a biblical thought. That is not a thought for followers of Jesus. We say this, we got to take as many people with us as we can. That's the command that's given us. So we always have a big so what. And this is what I want to flesh out for you and be very intentional with this year at Christmas. I want to get to the big now what. And the big now what I'm going to make as simple but as specific as I can. The big now what this year is invite. We've created this series to be for people who are followers of Jesus and people who are not followers of Jesus. It's going to matter to everybody. We believe we have a command to obey that says go and be witnesses. Go and, Go and share the gospel. Right? So, here's how I'm going to make it this really simple and really practical, and I'll walk you through this. I think sometimes we just say, hey, y'all ought to invite. Like, we need to get people into the kingdom of heaven. They need to hear about Jesus. Just invite. And I think what most of us do is we think about it, we throw up in our mouth, and then we just move on. A little bit? Right? So, I'm going to make this just really simple and really practical for you. I'm going to give you the four knots. These are the four knots when you're inviting people to church. And I want you this year to look for the four knots. Got it? Here's the four knots. Not prepared for, or not going well, for, not from here and not in the church. And here's how this works you should be looking for these things in conversation, you should be listening for these things very intentional. You're talking to somebody and they go, man, I really wasn't prepared for it. And not prepared and not going well very much go together. I'm not, I wasn't really prepared for this to happen in life. I wasn't prepared to lose my mother, to lose my spouse, to lose my child. I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared to lose my job. I wasn't prepared for financial crisis. And the same thing is not going well. My marriage is not going well. My family's not going well. When you hear that not, not, not going well, not prepared for it, you ought to just step into that immediately. Now, I'm going to explain this to you. So you understand, this. and I'm explaining, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. I'm not telling it to you. I'm working through this. I'm working on this. But I just want you to keep this thought in mind. You build relational equity by listening. Now let me say that again. You build relational equity by listening. These are conversations that must be done in relationship. You build relational equity by listening. So here's what you do. Really, you weren't prepared for that. Really, that's not going well. Tell me about it. Now listen. Now Listen. And then there's a follow-up question, which is usually this. So let me ask you a question. When that happens, how do you handle that? What do you do about that? Now just listen. Just listen. I'm, t- I'm telling me this right now, right? And just let folks talk. Just let folks talk. You're building relationship. This isn't like we're not trying to manipulate people, but I'm saying you're building relationship. And then when they get done and they've talked, then I ask this question. Man, you know, I haven't experienced that exactly and I'm sure that must be terrible. I've had a few hard things happen in my life. I mean, I've had a few difficult things happen. Do you mind if I share with you how, what I do, how I handle that? There's relational equity. So almost always, you go, yeah, go right ahead. And this is where you tell your grace story. Now, here's part of the problem. We don't think about our grace story, and we're barely aware of our grace story. Do you recognize, do you realize that God has saved us from hell? Like, do we think about that? Apart from Christ, you and I are all going to meet in hell. We've been saved from that. All right, what's your grace story? I'm going to tell you my grace story because this is about how fast I say it. Look, man, when I was about third grade, our family went to church. I went to church. And I would have told you that I was a Christian. I had asked Jesus into my, I always say that because that's nowhere in the New Testament. You surrender your life. You commit your life, right? I would have said, hey, I asked Jesus in my heart. That's not wrong. I said, man, we always went to church, but I was a smart-mouthed kid saying really smart mouth things that no one should say, and I was doing smart mouth kid things that kids should not be doing. And then when I became a sophomore in high school, I don't know why, but a youth pastor reached out to me. He saw something in me, and he began to disciple me and really show me what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm just telling you, had that not happened in my life, I don't know where I'd be today. I'd be a more colossal train wreck than I already am. It would be worse if you can even imagine that. I'd be in crazy town. Right, And having that relationship with Christ changed everything for me. And that's what gives me strength in really difficult times. And that's where I go and seek wisdom. And that's what helps me to get through those times. Do you go to a church? Do you attend a church? No, I don't. I'd love to have you come with me. We have a 9, 15, and 11. Which works best? Can I pick you up? I mean, it's that simple. But you were listening. Not prepared for, not going well. Not from here is a really significant one, I think, in this community, in this culture. Raise your hand if if you did not grow up in Minnesota. Okay, here's what's weird about living in Minnesota. And and I'll just say the way I think it's very frank. This is just like we always talk and joke about Minnesota nice. I don't think that's a necessarily bad thing. I think when you meet folks around here, they're nice. And they'll be nice to you. But here's real world. Real world is my wife has friends from junior high. And a lot of you do. You grew up here and you stay here. If you went away to go to college, you came back here. And so your friend circle is packed. You have family, you have friends who have been friends from elementary school. And so literally, if you and I are now going to be friends, hey, I don't mean you any disrespect, but I would literally have to kick someone out of my circle. I would have to contact my weird cousin and go, we're not going to be friends anymore, right? So I can take you on. And that's the way it is. So when people say, no, I'm not from here, I'm like, really? that's interesting. Where are you from? And I listen. And I say, since you've moved to Twin Cities, it can be challenging. How has it been for you here to make friends? And they go, yeah, it's been really difficult. Blah, 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 blah. And I just let them talk. And then I say, well, I didn't grow up here either. Can can I, can I tell you kind of how we have formed community? Now we go to a church that just gives us great community. We've made so many great friends and we found great community in our church. Do you go to a church? Have you found a church yet? No, I haven't. Oh, man, right on. I would love to invite you to my church. We have services at 9, 15, and 11. Which one works best for you? I can pick you up if you need. Really simple. And then the last one is I'm not in a church. And that one's really obvious. Oh, you're not in a church? I'd love to invite you to my church. We have a 9, 15, and 11. I can pick you up if you want. Which works best for you? But you should just be listening for the four knots. Now, here's the thing. We can sit in here and we can say, eh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I don't know if we realize how much impact this can have into someone's life. I don't know if we think about how dramatically we can change someone's life. Watch this video quick.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel Furch and this is my husband Nick Furch. We've been going to Cedar Valley for just over three years and we got invited by our mutual friends Amy and Tyler Moon and we've been loving it ever since. We got a good foundation of the church, identified that you know through Pastor Neil and through the other associate pastors that this was somewhere that we wanted to invest our time and energy into to become more relational, and then that sparked our um, now really amazing um, group that we have the ability to be a part of. We have been in that group for the last year and a half, and growing with new relationships and new friendships and being able to interact with people in a, in a whole new way that would have never happened if we wouldn't have gotten invited in the first place and felt like we were you know, welcomed in a way that was beyond just um, a handshake at the door and more of a relational element.
2: With our life group and kind of all the things that it encompasses is, is, is something that's near and dear to my heart. It's a community of people that you're surrounding yourself with that you want to pour into but also be into by them and so that's something too I think with our life group I think we do it extremely well for the other people in the group and I think that they have already done so much in our lives and been, you know a light to our relationship and also a light to our own individual lives and that's been something that's been awesome.
0: That led to just about a month well almost two months ago now we got married um, at Cedar Valley Church on October 1st of this year So that was uh, an exciting moment to see something that was starting as a a gentle community nudge to become something where we had people on our wedding party who were from Cedar Valley Church and that was an amazing experience to be in the place that we found those relationships and developed them even further and then to have them support us on one of our most important days of our life was really a, a positive experience as well.
2: The impact of us being invited to Cedar Valley has personally brought me to a church home and brought now my spouse to a church home that we've been able to grow in our relationships with God and obviously grow in our relationships with a great church community. And I feel like that impact is something I would like to see in other people as well.
0: I would like to have that be Something common and something where when you get invited to church, it's it's not rare. It's not a rare thing to be invited to church. It's something that happens so often that eventually people just think it's normal.
1: It should just be normal. So this year, listen, we've designed this series always to draw us closer to God and our relationship with him. But we've designed it with unbelievers or unchurched people in mind. We're trying to help. And so there's an invite. I think it's boogered onto your your bulletin today. I think you've got one on there. We boogered one on there last week. That's the technical term. I'm just giving you the technical terms around here. And so that's for you to hand somebody. But I want you to do this. Listen for the four knots. I wasn't prepared for. It's not going well. I'm not from here. I'm not in a church. Be listening. Step into those situations. You could change someone's life forever. The Holy Spirit can work through you, and you'll change someone's life forever. Got it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, O oh God. Thank you for the way that speaks to us. Thank you, Father, for a Savior. Man, we just say thank you for a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. You were born as a human. Thank you that you lived a sinless life. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore our sins. You hung on a cross and you died. But we proclaim this morning, Jesus Christ, you rose from the dead. And because you rose, now your spirit lives in us. You've changed our lives, and we just say thank you. Father, I pray that you would remind us of our grace stories and how you've saved us and what you've rescued us from, and we would just be impassioned and convicted to share it with everybody. God, would you do that, Lord? Would you just give us a passion to see lost people come to Jesus? Would you do that?